0: Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. Tonight, I'm Vashi Capellos. The feds are doubling down. No inquiry on alleged election interference.
1: Canadians and Canadians alone determine the outcomes of our elections by voting at the ballot box.
0: We have some breaking news. A brand new report on elections interference has just been released. We'll speak to Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc about that. We'll ask him why the feds insist an inquiry is a no-go. Then, how much did political parties know about potential elections interference in the 2021 campaign? Tory and new Democrat campaign managers will be here and we'll ask them. Plus, flatlining economy. New numbers show the end of 2022 was as slow as things could go for the economy. Does that up the risk of a recession? We'll dig into that with our front bench panel. Plus, we are standing by for Alberta's budget. The province is expected to post a big surplus, lots of oil money going into provincial coffers. We're going to bring those details to you live on our watch. First, though,
1: foreign interference uh, represents a serious threat to our institutions. Including our elections, and that is why we have put in place a number of tools that will assist uh, our intelligence community and other agencies that operate within the public safety apparatus to mitigate against those risks.
0: The tools that Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino is referring to there includes a committee of public servants that was put together a few elections ago to study the risk of and the possibility of foreign elections interference, or really any elections interference. They are supposed to sound an alarm or raise a red flag if they feel it will compromise the integrity of an election. And that didn't happen in 2021. That's what the Prime Minister has most recently talked about in his sort of refusal or rebuffing of uh, calling uh, an inquiry into allegations of Chinese foreign interference. Well, today, just actually minutes ago, we got a report into our inbox reviewing the effectiveness and the work of that committee. My colleague, CTV's senior political correspondent, Glenn McGregor, is here. We really did just get this report. Just minutes ago, I'm going through with my highlighter right now. And and, and just to set it up for for our viewers, really, this is about sort of analyzing If the committee is doing its work, and and really, are there the proper tools in place to let us know about foreign interference, which has been the subject of headlines now for weeks?
2: It's kind of a survey report. It's not super investigative. It's done by Morris Rosenberg, who was a a senior deputy minister here in Ottawa for a very long time, very uh, well-respected public servant. Uh, And he was asked by the Privy Council Office to look into this, and he did interviews with Chief Electoral Officer uh, of the National Security Agencies. He met with some of the political parties to see kind of their take on how it went. And, you know, to boil it down to kind of like one line, uh, this might be it. The National Security Agency saw attempts at foreign interference. So, yes, they did report seeing things. But, and this is the key, and it kind of backs up the Prime Minister's line on this, but not enough to have met the threshold of impacting electoral integrity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of going to be the, the key takeaway, at least for the, from the government's point of view, is that this did not... These attempts at foreign interference didn't change the outcome. He notes that there was not really specific attempts at targeting either Elections Canada or any kind of the electoral apparatus. Really, it was more directed at it in other ways. Um, But he does note that CSIS is very concerned about foreign interference, including by the the Chinese Communist Party. And this is another uh, kind of pungent line I I wanted to read. CSIS expressed concerns that China notably tried to target elected officials, so those presumably would be MPs, to promote their national interests and encourage individuals to act as proxies on their behalf. But we're getting into an area that is outside the scope of his report. He's looking at the election. Right. Uh, he's not looking at uh, some of these things that have been raised. In, in media reports we've seen recently about attempts to interfere in the nomination process, for example, in the case of, of One Toronto Riding. So I think uh, this is going to be kind of a split decision. Uh, depending, There's going to be stuff in here that will back you up uh, either way you feel about this. Right. And I don't think it's going to be... The end
3: of
0: it. At, the, uh, at the end of the day, it, it, like you said, it backs up the government's position that they have maintained the outcome was in effect. I will say also, though, that even the, the Prime Minister's critics are saying, okay, we're not saying that the election was stolen, right. but there's stuff that's going on here that deserves a closer probe. I'm not sure this sure. is necessarily and, and,
2: quiet. And, 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 and Rosenberg, and fairness, does get into some of those things. He talks about uh, social media in particular being a, a channel for a lot of this misinformation, including WeChat, which is, of course, right. a uh, Chinese language uh, like social uh, networking thing. A lot of... He, he, he cites specific examples where disinformation was spread, mentions uh, Kenny Chu, the conservative candidate out in uh, British Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, and his attempts to get a foreign agent registry going, uh, and how the, the, the Chinese pushed back on that through social media. So there is uh, some detail on things like that, but if you're looking for kind of a, a you know A, 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 a big smoking, silver bullet, yeah, yeah, gang, it's not yeah. it's not It's not going to help, I don't think, either side. I don't think it's going to help the government by putting an end to this because I think the calls will still come for a more formal inquiry than this. Okay. Well,
0: let's let's ask my next guest about those calls. Thanks very much. CTV senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor. My next guest is Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Hi, Minister. Good to welcome you to the program. Appreciate you making the time.
3: Hi, Vashi. Glad to be on the program.
0: Uh, I just received, uh, through the Prime Minister's office's release, this report um, from Mr. Rosenberg, uh, kind of reviewing basically the mechanisms that are in place to detect whether there is foreign interference that compromises the outcome of the election. I note that, like you and the Prime Minister have said in the past, the outcome was not compromised, according to this analysis. But there are some big red flags and some pertinent recommendations I want to put to you. Number one, there should be an announcement within a year of the previous election about the government's plan to safeguard the integrity of Canada's election. How can that announcement happen or that plan come forth without knowing the full scope of the Issue, the full scope of interference, why not call an inquiry to get to the bottom of the problem?
3: Well, Vasya, a number of questions there. We agree with Mr. Rosenberg that we should, within a year of an election, uh, tell the Canadian public uh, the review of the measures that our government put in place when we assumed office. We've taken this issue very seriously from the beginning. We're the ones that put in place in 2019 and then 2021 this independent panel of senior public servants. Mr. Rosenberg reviewed the work of the panel and made recommendations how we can strengthen it. He also confirmed, he had access by the way, to all of the intelligence information uh, that the panel would have had. So he reviewed without uh, any uh, any uh, redactions whatsoever, all of the information. And he concluded that the panel in fact met the threshold requirement of supervising uh, democratic institutions, uh, safeguarding against uh, foreign interference. Um, And he made recommendations going forward of how we can strengthen the efforts we put in place exactly as we did after 2019 as well. But to
0: that effect, he also highlighted the fact that the threshold that that panel has to meet to signal to the public that the election could be compromised or that there was something problematic was in and of itself problematic, right? The threshold is very high. He highlighted, for example, all the issues CSIS brought to the table around Chinese foreign election interference. The public is not privy to that. The public at this point is reading all these reports and is getting all this information about the possibility of foreign interference, but we don't know the scope of it. Why is your government not willing to kind of shed more sunlight on that?
3: Well, Vashi, obviously every government, including predecessor governments, uh, have responsibilities around safeguarding intelligence information. What we think is important is that there is a group of independent senior public servants Uh, and that their work is reviewed after every general election. This is a process we put in place in 2019 and again in 2021, uh, that they're in the position to tell Canadians if there has been foreign interference to an extent that the outcome of the election might be altered. The good news is they've confirmed that we've known for a long time, Vashi, we're not unique as a Western democracy, to have other countries, authoritarian countries, attempt to interfere with our democratic institutions. It's a challenge in many other countries. Our government put in place this rigorous process. The report today confirmed the merit of the process and made some, we think, constructive, constructive some very st- suggestions of how to strengthen
0: Yeah, it did make those suggestions, which which so far your government has not heeded. Again, it, it highlights the well, fact that we don't different. really know the scope of the issue, right? And he's pretty clear about that. The threshold is is, is nebulous, is, is not exactly uh, you know clear.
3: Yeah. I, I, I don't think he used the word nebulous. He referred to uh, the requirement for significant impacts. We think that that is a, a thoughtful... An appropriate suggestion. Obviously, the government will be reviewing that element around the threshold based on the recommendations from Mr. Rosenberg, who, as you know, is a former senior deputy minister in a number of portfolios. So this is part of ensuring VASHI, as we have done since we formed government, that we have rigorous uh, and thorough measures in place to deal with this threat. This threat is not new. This threat is not unique to Canada. The good news is the measures we put in place, we believe, and it was confirmed by the report today, uh, resulted in no foreign interference mm. or even other electoral so no, interference- So no inquiry. Such, a, such that the result of the vote would be compromised. We think that's the significant uh, outcome I of just, the report today, but obviously we'll look to strengthen uh, this okay. effort. And by the way, Vashi, uh, this protocol that we put in place included representatives of recognized parties as well they too were briefed and included uh, in the process by these senior public servants as is obviously appropriate i'm
0: I'm about to interview them so thanks for bringing that up minister just really quickly i have five seconds that means no inquiry yes or no no Uh,
3: Vashi, we we look forward to hearing for example at a parliamentary committee this week and again next week these very independent experts who ran this process ministers will appear Uh, We think we've put the right tools in place to safeguard democratic institutions, and we think any examination will bear that out.
0: Okay, Minister, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time.
3: Thank you, Vashi. Have a great evening. You too.
0: Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc there. Two people who ran the opposition campaigns in the 2021 election have been listening in. They're ready to respond. Fred Delory was the 2021 Conservative National Campaign Manager. He's a managing partner with Delaurier Public Affairs. And Anne McGrath is the NDP's National Director. Hi to both of you. Thank you very much for making the time. Uh, Mr. DeLore, I'll start with you. You heard the minister there essentially, um, and I'll I'll sort of uh, summarize what he said. Look, this report underscores what the prime minister has been saying, which is that the overall outcome of the election was not compromised that puts the issue to bed. We're working hard on this, we take it seriously. Does it put the issue to bed for you? Uh,
4: Certainly not. This is a concerning issue that we've seen. We saw this happening during the election. We raised this concern with officials. Uh, We've got even more reports after the election was done. Um, This report does nothing. It's, you know, one of the recommendations is uh, basically after the next, a year after the next election, they'll tell us what they're gonna do to safeguard. That's not enough. Uh, We've identified uh, some serious legislative gaps. Um, You know, we had a conservative member of parliament pushing for a foreign mm-hmm. uh, a foreign, uh, agent, registry, agent yeah. reg- registry. Other countries have this, that we can do this, that we can actually put some teeth to this and go after these, these people that are doing this.
0: Can I just follow up before I before I go to Ms. McGrath and ask you a little bit if you could shut – I feel like in the past few weeks, we, a lot of Canadians have learned for the first time that some of these committees or groups were struck to determine whether or not there was foreign election interference. What is the nature of – the campaign's involvement with that committee, like how much information was flowing back and forth throughout the campaign so that this group of people or CSIS or whomever knew the full scope of potential foreign election interference.
4: Right. So it was really a one-way street uh, during the whole uh, process. So before the campaign, during and after, there was a mechanism for us, for the parties, to meet with the task force. Uh, They would brief us on certain security issues, but when it came to actual uh, political interference, there was nothing coming to us. Uh, There was absolutely nothing. They weren't uh, alarming us to anything. They weren't making us aware. We were making them aware of things that we were seeing on the ground from our, from our local campaigns. And afterwards, we did give them a fulsome report on the interference that we saw.
0: Ms. McGrath, what, what about you? Um, for, I'll, I'll start off on, on the same question and just sort of if you could describe for Canadians listening what your interactions were like with this group or with CSIS or, or sort of on the issue of foreign interference during the campaign.
5: Well, let me start by saying that I don't take issue with the idea that that the outcome of the election, uh, what you know, is legitimate and, and all of that. But I don't think that you can use that um, that assertion that I don't think anyone is actually even uh, taking issue with, uh, to say that we don't need to look at this seriously. And so I think that's the important thing here: is that just because the outcome might not have been seriously altered doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about the fact that there are foreign actors attempting to interfere in our election process. So I think that there is a need for more information on this. Um, uh, The the task force itself and the meetings with the political parties, I would agree, were a bit of a one-way street for sure. Um, My sense was that they were Um, And I think that the report even refers to that, that they were a bit of an, at least in 2021, which is the one I was involved in, they were uh, an afterthought. Uh, They didn't start till a few weeks, really start until a few weeks into the campaign. They were a little bit pro forma and very vague. And the political parties that were there did ask questions about um, how would we know if this was happening? Um, What would be the things that we should look for? Um, what should we do if we think it's ha- all of those kinds of things? And there wasn't a lot of information on that. I did find that, that there was um, you know, there was some good information uh, shared about you know, uh, what they referred to as uh, politically motivated violent extremists and all of those kinds of things. But in terms of foreign interference, I think people were concerned about um, exactly that. How do you know? What do you look for? What do you do if you think that it's an issue? Will will we be informed if you think it's an issue? Uh, all of those kinds of things, and there wasn't a lot of information on those kinds of things. So I think that you know the report talks about sort of in between elections and earlier and more for, that kind of thing, and I I do agree with that.
0: So let me just follow up with you quickly, Ms. McGrath, and and uh, ask: Do you um, were you surprised as you read in the past few weeks about the allegations of uh, interference in? you know, uh, particularly as they related to Conservative candidates, for example, or even some Liberal candidates, uh, and the nature of what CSIS is saying, uh, you know, foreign actors were doing?
5: I was surprised. I was alarmed. I was concerned. Uh, I, I, I I feel like we need to know more. I feel like the Canadian public has a right to know more. Um, you know, I, I don't think that... I'm not surprised that there are foreign actors attempting to interfere in our elections. Um, and, uh, and you know, that's not a particular surprise. But I'm surprised that there was information about it or that there might have been information about it that uh, that hasn't been acted on or that hasn't been followed up on or that has been hidden, I think. And I that's why I think the public inquiry is probably the way to go. Um, I, I think we need to find a mechanism for making sure that that the... That, that we get to the kind of get to the bottom of it really um and and i, I don't think that the uh, procedure in the house affairs committee proc as the, as it's called i don't think that's the appropriate place to do that i don't think that the um uh you know my experience with the, these kinds of things and i think everybody's experience with these kind of parliamentary committee investigations is that when it's something as kind of volatile as this it can turn into a bit of a, a circus you know with filibustering and 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 uh, weird motions and all of that kind of thing so i just i just don't think that's where we're going to find out what happened.
0: The issue, also, uh, Mr. Delory, with the committee is that, and, and tomorrow, that committee is expected to hear, for example, from people who have, you know, access to the highest level of intelligence on this, from CSIS, from the RCMP, the National Security Advisor to the Prime Minister. They 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 don't say a lot during these committees because they can't really. Right. And so I I wonder, from your perspective, if another venue, I don't know if it's an inquiry, I don't know what the exact venue is, but if a venue where more information could be shared in your view is necessary based on what we know so
4: hundred percent I look I don't think the liberal I'm quite sure the Liberals were not behind this or involved in this they may have benefited from it they're the governing party uh, the NDP and the Conservatives we should all sit down and figure out what this problem is and how we solve it together Uh other countries have systems in place to combat this. Um, and there's other ways to do this. I think we need better legislation. Uh, an inquiry, I don't know if what we're going to get out of that. I don't know how long that's going to take. I think there's solutions in front of us if we look at what other countries are doing to combat it and have a, a you know a, a bipartisan approach to figuring this problem out and getting to the bottom of it and putting solutions in front of us.
0: Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Mr. Delory, Ms. McGrath, thank you very much both of you for your time. Fred Delory and Anne McGrath. And of course, the front bench panel is standing by to dig into all of this today with us Brian Gallant Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair and Robert Benzi. Right now I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to take a look at some new numbers from Statistics Canada around the growth or lack thereof of the Canadian economy. We're back in just a moment. Stay right there. Canada's economy has flatlined, sort of. New numbers from Statistics Canada show that the real gross domestic product in this country did not grow in the last quarter of 2022 after months near zero. This economic slowdown does coincide with the Bank of Canada's attempts to cool inflation using higher interest rates. On a month-to-month basis, real GDP also declined slightly in December by 0.1%. Preliminary numbers, however, show the economy did bounce back this January, growing by 0.3%. For more on today's new data, here's BNN Bloomberg's David George Kosh. Hi, David. Good to see you. What's your big takeaway from these numbers?
6: Well, with uh, StatsCan uh, reporting that there was flat growth in the fourth quarter uh, uh, for Canada's economy, while December saw uh, one-tenth of a percentage point decline in the month. Uh, On one hand, uh, it failed to meet economists' expectations. They were looking for a 1.5% rise in the fourth quarter uh, in terms of expanding Canada's economy. But the Bank of Canada, in their uh, most recent monetary policy report, actually uh, forecasted sluggish growth in the fourth quarter, as well as sluggish growth or flat growth in the first quarter of this particular year. Um, Business activity was the real big drawback here. Uh, We saw businesses lower their uh, capital spending, as well as uh, a reduction in business inventories that weighed on the economy. A little bit of a silver lining, though, Vashi, is the fact that consumers seem to be doing pretty okay in the fourth quarter of last year. Uh, Consumer spending was up. Uh, Consumer disposable income uh, here in Canadian households, that was up as well. So all things equal, it looks like a bit of a mixed bag um, rather than a a bit of a doom and gloom when you kind of look at the numbers and you kind of see where the economy is heading. But all things equal. Equal. looks like we're kind of cresting a bottom here um, with the January flash estimate of the economy from StatsCan coming in at a 0.3% increase.
0: Yeah, what does the, you, you touched on the sort of silver lining around consumer consumption, what, what does that bode for the next quarter, for this coming quarter, for, for 2023, and forecast specific, specifically rather around a potential recession?
6: Yeah, I think economists right now, while they are modeling a mild recession, um, and and I think the Bank of Canada has kind of um, stood pat on actually saying the dreaded R word, they are still forecasting um, flat growth, in, at least in the first quarter of this year. Um, and, and what we've seen with uh, retail spending, for example, consumer spending, specifically in December, as well as going forward, it looks like that's actually going to be pretty strong. Um, but, Um, All things considered, the uh, GDP estimates going forward, while they could be lower than what we typically see in a January to March um, window, they are going to be uh, low enough that they won't add more inflationary pressure. And that's kind of key here. um, The Bank of Canada is looking to tamp down on that inflationary rate that has plagued Canadians for so long and continues to do so. They forecast that it will return to the 2% target by 2024. And the economy at the way it's going right now is going to see the inflation rate continue to go downward at a steady slow but obviously on a downward pace that the Bank of Canada is hoping to get to
0: yeah and that inflation environment is also so key for I know what a lot of Canadians are looking towards next week and that is uh, the rate announcement from the Bank of Canada given what you're seeing today does uh, do you do you anticipate that they will stick to that pause that, that they talked about at the last rate announcement?
6: Yeah, certainly. I think uh, the Bank of Canada is certainly going to wait at least one rate decision meeting before making a very serious thought about whether or not they want to eliminate that conditional pause. And remember, that conditional pause is dependent on data. We have seen stronger-than-expected labour and retail uh, f- uh, figures uh, from StatsCan, um, and that could muddy the thinking for Bank of Canada officials in terms of where they think rates should be going this year. Right now, investors, according to the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, showed that they do anticipate a potential uh, cut uh, towards the end of this year. But that kind of that's that's way into the future. That's actually too far into the future to really anticipate any further cuts. But right now, economists widely believe that March 8th, the Bank of Canada will continue to see rates at four and a half percent and will continue to do so unless the data, the economy is strong enough to warrant another rate hike.
0: Okay. thanks so much, David. Appreciate it. Thanks, Fashi that's the countrywide picture let's swing now uh, a little bit west uh, from where I am in Ottawa to Alberta in Edmonton in fact in the provincial legislature where the Finance Minister Travis Taves is delivering his budget we'll take a listen in
6: a tremendous tremendous honor today to rise in the house and present budget 2023 the fifth I presented on behalf of Albertans the fall of t- 2020 uh, pardon me in the fall of 2019. I put forward a four-year plan to bring the province back to fiscal responsibility and a balanced budget. In some respects, these past four years have felt like a century, in part due to the extraordinary global challenges we've faced, but also because of how far we've come. When as a government we took office in 2019, Alberta had an economy that was flatlined, and we were spending $10 billion more than comparable provinces on services without better outcomes. Our plan to strengthen so let me Alberta's tell you economic foundations. A little Foundation. bit about what
0: the finance minister, Travis Taves, there is about to spell out. He's risen there in the legislature, which signals the embargo is off. The budget you can see on the uh, the banner right at the bottom of your screen that there will be a $2.4 billion surplus projected in Alberta. Expenses or spending is up, however. Uh, The surplus is actually down from what was originally projected, and that's because of a decrease in federal revenues, uh, mostly due to natural resource revenue, which is not out of the ordinary for Alberta at all. It is expected to to decline, rather, more than $9 billion. The estimate had been that it would be about twice that. So that's a significant decrease there. That is, of course, because of the price of oil. It had gone from $70, as projected in last year's budget, all the way up to $120 per barrel, and now it's back uh, between that $70 and $80 uh, mark. So that's why there is a decline in revenue. But there is still an increase in spending, and that increase comes uh, to both health and education. The health budget goes up by almost a billion dollars and education is getting uh, about another $685 million in Alberta over the next three years. All of this, of course, is significant in the greater political context there is uh, an election in that province happening uh, likely in May in the spring. And so a lot of the uh, spending, uh, of course, in this budget and a lot of the announcements around new measures in health and uh, education, both of which have been announced actually in the lead up to the budget, are, of course, against the backdrop of that political context. However, the big headline, Alberta is projecting a 24 billion dollar surplus and expenses or spending will rise four percent i'm going to take a quick break here on power play the list a roundup of today's political news is next welcome back to power play time for the list a roundup of what's happening in politics today
1: it is important uh, that as we interact with Canadians, that they know that their information will be protected, that their information is secure, and that we can deliver the essential services that they need in a way that is also safe and secure. So it will be removed from our federal devices for anyone that's been using or has it on a federal device. Uh, that'll, that'll happen, we'll comply with that, that rule. Uh, in terms of uh, the pause, we'll take a pause now and assess, uh, is, is there a way to use it safely?
0: The public safety minister and NDP leader there on the federal government's decision to remove the popular social media app TikTok from all federal devices or government issued devices. Provincially, Quebec and now Alberta and Nova Scotia have followed suit and Ontario says it's reviewing whether to ban the app. TikTok is owned by a Chinese company and the government says it fears it could compromise the data on devices. And Google's CEO and other top execs have been called to testify at a House committee after the company started blocking news content for some Canadians. Google says it's all part of a pilot project in response to the government's Bill C-18. That piece of legislation would force web giants, including Google, to pay news outlets for reposting their content. And despite the federal government calling out China and characterizing it as a disruptive global power in the Fed's Indo-Pacific strategy, the latest trade data from StatsCan posts record Canada-China trade. Canadian imports are breaking the $100 billion mark in 2022, which is up 16% from the $86 billion in imports from China back in 2021. Supreme Court Justice Russell Brown has taken a leave of absence. The justice has been on leave since February 1st. The Chief Justice's Executive Legal Officer and Chief of Staff, Stephanie Bachan, said in a statement that Justice Brown's absence is related to a confidential matter, saying in part, the Chief Justice has made all necessary arrangements for the court to continue its work in Justice Brown's absence. The court may sit with between five to nine judges under the Supreme Court Act. Coming up, we'll turn back to our top story. Breaking news, a new report on election interference has just come out. Will the report's findings subdue calls for an inquiry or amplify them? Our front bench panel is ready to weigh in after a quick break. There they are. Brian Gallant, Lisa Ray, Thomas, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie. Back in a moment.
1: Foreign interference uh, represents a serious threat to our institutions, including our elections, and that is why we have put in place a number of tools that will assist uh, our intelligence community and other agencies that operate within the public safety apparatus to mitigate against those risks.
4: We raised this concern with officials. Uh, We've got even more reports after the election was done. Um, This report does nothing.
5: Just because the outcome might not have been seriously altered doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about the fact that there are foreign actors attempting to interfere in our election process.
0: Less than an hour ago, a new report analyzing election interference in the 2021 federal election was released. That. Release comes as pressure mounts on the Prime Minister to call an inquiry over allegations of foreign election interference in that campaign, but the Prime Minister has so far rebuffed those calls. Does this report quell concerns over interference or amplify them? Let's bring in our front bench panel to weigh in. With me tonight, former New Brunswick Liberal Premier Brian Gallant, he's now the CEO of Space Canada. Former Conservative Deputy Leader Lisa Raitt is here. She's the Vice Chair and Managing Director of Global Investment Banking at CIBC. CTV News political analyst and Former NDP leader Tom Mulcair is with us, as is the Toronto Star's Queens Park bureau chief Rob Benzi. Hi, everybody. Good to see you, um, Lisa. I'm going to start with you. This uh, report today, it's kind of it's kind of lovely. Like there's there's a bunch of committees. There's a panel that was struck to look into this issue, and this report was reviewing that panel's work. It came to the conclusion that. Uh, What happened didn't affect the outcome of the election, but stuff did happen. What do you think? Does that uh, further the calls for more to be done or or kind of dilute them or deflate
7: them? So I don't agree with your conclusion. I don't think that this report says that um, there is no impact on free and fair election. I think what it did do was it reviewed the protocol and did the protocol work. It doesn't say, it doesn't bless whether or not there is any kind of free and fair election. I think what um, the author does do, though, he goes through in quite detail the importance of public confidence In a free and fair election. And what is happening right now is that people's confidence in elections, whether or not there's interference in the elections, is being shaken, is being rattled. And a report on a process that was set up by the government isn't going to make this issue go away at all. The underpinning has to be about public confidence in the system. There's too many questions coming from too many sources. And I think it does make sense that there be a public inquiry that is independent of the government and of parliamentarians put in place in order to ensure that the public does have confidence in our electoral system.
0: I raised a lot of those concerns, uh, Mr. Mulcair, Tom, with, uh, with Dominic LeBlanc off the top of the show and sort of itemized some of the flags that the author of this report did point to. Uh, he kept circling back to the uh, conclusion that the outcome, that, that, that all the stuff laid out, did not affect the overall outcome and that the processes in place were enough to combat whatever interference is happening. Do you buy that?
8: No, I don't. And I'm very much on the same page as Lisa Raitt with this one. It's the same thing that Mr. Trudeau tried to say last week. He said, well, the result of the election wasn't affected. Well, how can you affirm that when there's been no objective analysis of what's involved? And some of the people involved in doing these reports have a long history of connections to and with the Liberal Party. So I think that that is also part of the background. Canadians have a right to know whether the backbone of our democratic institutions, our voting process, our elections, was tainted, was affected by a foreign actor. And the information that's come out in the past couple of weeks, of course, wasn't available to the people writing this report necessarily. And the way to get to a result that people can believe is with some sort of contradictory, contradictory process. You can't just have some people coming in and affirming the government's version when it's being brought out by the government itself, and everybody's supposed to go home and say, yeah, nothing to see here. Everybody just move along. I don't think that that's going to wash. There's been too much information put forward. And it's interesting, Vashti, this afternoon I was listening to Bob Fife the lead author in most of these articles. And he was on radio here in Montreal, and he was asked a straight-up question, so why do you think Mr. Trudeau's stonewalling? And his answer was very simple and clear, and he said, I think he's stonewalling because the liberals stand to be hurt if all of this information comes out. Well, that's not a good enough reason to deprive Canadians of a proper process, a full analysis. And this reminds me of something we went through again here in Quebec when Jean Charest tried to stonewall the creation of a commission of inquiry into corruption in the construction industry. And he was brought into it kicking and screaming. But it had to take place because there was just too much information in the public space about what had been going on. It's the same thing here. There's too much information out there for the government to come along, just try to put a lid on it and say, we're not going to look at this any further. Canadians are not going to buy it.
0: Uh, Brian, we had Fred DeLore, who ran the 2021 campaign on the show just a few minutes ago. And he was pretty clear. He's like, I'm not saying that the the, the election was stolen. I'm I'm not saying that I'm not ascribing motive to the liberals or saying that they're behind it. But is there is there not an opportunity here for everyone to actually I know we always say it, but to actually do it and just take away your partisanship, sit down and say, like, what really happened? Do you think that is necessary, given as Tom and Lisa both point out the amount of information that's out there right now?
9: It 100% is necessary. The only thing I would say is that an inquiry is one mechanism. I'm a bit surprised to what extent the discourse, and look, it's very clearly, uh, there's not many dissenting voices that an inquiry shouldn't be called, but I'm I'm a bit surprised to what extent people aren't satisfied with a, with a multi-partisan committee or parliament looking into this. Uh, There is obviously some great, great discourse and great points made that there's a committee looking at it, but doesn't necessarily have the clearance necessary. So some are arguing it should be sent to the parliamentary committee on national security and intelligence, which would have some clearance to be able to see some of the documents. So, so that I think would make a lot of sense from my point of view as a, as a venue to be able to look into the matter. We obviously had the report that came out with the panel. Uh, and, and look, I, I think politically speaking, I don't see how the prime minister is really gonna kind of get away from this one though, because there's gonna have to be something else done. And, and look it's a bit of an unforced error i mean the the video a few months back where where the Prime Minister mentioned to President Xi that uh, you know stop interfering with our elections so so that's sort of out there in the public domain it It was a moment that probably could have been good had had we sort of known here in Canada that there was something happening and and that could have been a moment where he was standing up to the president. But but now it's kind of just sort of like, OK, well, you've known since then. And so so now it's kind of put some things into question and everybody's sort of pouncing. And obviously the opposition is pouncing. So I I don't see how he doesn't do something pretty, pretty, pretty strong, most likely some version of an inquiry. But honestly, if if I were sort of going from the beginning of this, I don't think the inquiry would have been necessary I think a parliamentary committee, amongst some maybe some other other actions taken, would be uh, suffice uh, in the, would suffice in this case.
0: Yeah, I think that the issue that people have brought up, Rob, with the parliamentary committee is the partisan nature of those committees, and that it wouldn't have the same—I uh, don't know if heft is the right word—but you know, the same ability that a judge-led inquiry or something of an independent mechanism might might have. That's that's so far, I guess, the concerns that people have raised. And even if the prime minister wanted to use the vehicles. That he currently has at his disposal to do that investigating if he had at the outset said hey this is a concern to me too this does seem like something's up something's wrong i get why people want more answers instead of kind of saying uh don't worry there's nothing to see here Uh, a lot of this kind of uh you know blowback might have been mitigated
10: exactly And, and, and you know what i agree with lisa tom and brian the prime minister needs to do more to clear the air Uh, I I mean, I also worry because there's so much conjecture flying around in a lot of these reports uh, in in, in newspapers and and websites. And I'm troubled by some of the CSIS leaks because, you know, for example, one of them suggests that, uh, you know, uh, the Chinese government tried to manipulate a a nomination meeting here in Toronto uh, by bussing in people to vote for a candidate. Well, that suggests to me that CSIS has never covered any nomination meetings or have ever been to a nomination meeting in the greater Toronto area, because every party, uh, whether it's the, the the Liberals or the Tories, and yet New Democrats to a lesser extent, uh, I'll say this for Tom's uh, Tom's party, but Liberals and Tories have been uh, packing nomination meetings with the GTA forever and ever, amen. So this is not, if, if this is news to CSIS, it's just to me that their idea of, of Foreign interference and and maybe ours is slightly different. So this is the thing. But again, it's up to the liberal government to clear the air. We have all of these these leaks coming from CSIS know, I mean, mid-level CSIS operatives who are clearly leaking this stuff. Some of it may be true. Some of it may be not true. But I think that, that we deserve to know for sure uh, what's real and what isn't real.
0: Okay, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. Front bench panel is sticking around. We're going to talk about the economy and some new data out from Statistics Canada that shows it is stagnating. Back in just a moment. Stay with us. Canada's economy has stalled, according to the latest data from Statistics Canada. This country's real gross domestic product flatlined in the fourth quarter of 2022. These new numbers come ahead of next week's Bank of Canada's interest rate announcement. The bank has been consecutively hiking their key rate since last March. It now stands at 4.5%. Let's bring back the front bench panel to talk a little bit about what that looks like ahead of a spring budget for the federal government, Brian Gallant, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair and Rob Benzi are here. Brian, I, I want to start with you. We are expecting that budget probably somewhere towards the end of next month. Given what we see there, and, and I will say January looks like it's, it's going to have a little bit of a bump, according to that data as well. But, but in essence, a stagnating economy. How much do you anticipate economic growth will be the focus of the next budget?
9: Well, I think what we just saw in terms of the numbers is exactly what they were expecting. I mean, they they didn't necessarily predict the the numbers bang on, but that's a stagnated economy, whether that was with a little bit of a little bit of an increase or a little bit of a decrease, um, exactly what everyone was sort of predicting. I think the federal government as well. So I think that means that over the next few weeks, as they prepare the final touches of their budget, that they they, they basically started with the right. Uh, starting point. So I think that's that's number one takeaway. Number two, I think it's going to continue to be the focus for them to find ways in which to to boost the economy, but also to help those that may be struggling during these difficult times. And obviously, one of the things that, that should be highlighted is the fact that when it comes to Canadians themselves, there's some data within the within the uh, within the info release that is kind of positive. Uh, although there's a stagnating economy, you can see that people are still spending money, they actually have a little bit more money than they uh, in in the last month than they would have uh, before, and they were able to maybe save a little bit and some are even saying it's because some of the programs that the federal government put into place to help sort of tackle the inflationary uh, issues so I think you'll, you'll see the federal government with a little boost in their step. They'll say, well, look, our, our measures helped out. There are numbers that demonstrate that stagnated economy, which we thought was going to be the case. So we're, we're probably doing the right thing, given the tough economic situation we find ourselves in.
0: I feel like, uh, Rob, that's a that's a tough message to sell, um, although data from StatsCan might might back it up to a certain degree. When you contrast it against the way people feel, because I I do think that even though inflation isn't as high as it was in the summer, it's still not low, and prices are still rising. And we know, for example, at the grocery store, they're rising a lot faster than elsewhere. Like I, I don't come across many people who feel like you know what, I really am. I feel like I'm getting ahead right now. And certainly, some of those programs have been helpful. But just looking at a broader swath of uh, Canadians, I feel like that's you know that will be a tough message to sell if it is their message in the
10: budget exactly that the cost of living you can't have a conversation with a friend a neighbor a relative without someone mentioning how much they paid for a head of lettuce or or something at the grocery store and 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 it, and, and everyone feels the pinch now the one thing that i would i, that I would caution about this uh, the stats can report is that uh even though it looks like we're slipping to into recession it's not like past recessions because unemployment is super super low uh basically we have full employment. It's mm-hmm. around 5% unemployment, which is what most economists think is, is pretty much full of employment. You don't really, you can't really function with it much lower than that. So uh, here in Ontario, for example, there's 400,000 unfilled jobs. So people are working. The problem is wages are not rising high enough. So they're not, wages aren't keeping up with inflation. So people are feeling that they're, they're not, not getting ahead. So they're having to take second jobs and, and, and work longer hours, doing overtime, things like that. So that's a tough, that's a tough uh, thing for any government. It's a, a tough thing for the government that I cover at Queens Park, and it's going to be a tough thing for Christian Freeland when she's crafting this budget because she's going to need to show people that that the, the Liberal government, which is you know pretty tenuous, let's face it, if, if, if Jagmeet Singh pulls the plug, we have an election this year, um, and th- they've they've got to, so they've got to show something that they're doing something for families, something for uh, for pocketbook issues, tackling those kinds of things.
0: Lisa, how? complicated politically do you think that the messaging will be for for around this budget when you do have good employment numbers but a completely stagnating you know mostly stagnating economy you do have people feeling the pinch but inflation getting better like how difficult will it be for
7: them politically to navigate that There's a big problem within these numbers, and I'll I'll tell you what it is. I mean, they have to try to engineer a soft landing from this this inflationary time that we're living in. And the interest rates going up, of course, are going to have a delay in the system. So it's going to take a while for Canadians to react to the fact that their mortgages are going up. And we're going to start seeing that happen now. People aren't spending as much, and that's being reflected. But the other side of the equation, the other part that drives the GDP is business investment. And if you look at these numbers, it's down. Mm -hmm. So what actually this government has to do in order to ensure that they're going to have continued growth or better growth than what they're seeing right now is not focus as much on whether or not people are purchasing things because they're going to get squeezed on their mortgage renewals. They have to now turn and say, well, what are we doing for business? Is business going to actually invest in this economy? Because if they don't have that side of the equation firing and people have stopped making purchases because they're really worried about the cost of living, well, then you have a hard landing. You don't have a soft landing. So, yeah, they've got a big problem coming up at the end of March when they bring in their budget. And they've got to show that businesses are going to have a climate in which they're going to be able to invest and grow because that's what's going to be needed in this economy. Tom, last word to you on this.
8: Well, this is probably going to be the last budget before the next federal election. I disagree slightly with Robert on one thing. I don't think that Mr. Singh gets to pull the plug, because even if he announces he won't support the budget, I can guarantee you the Bloc Québécois will support the budget, because the last thing they want is an election. They thought they died and gone to heaven the last time around uh, when they got as many seats as they did. So they're, they're definitely in play here, and that would be enough to support the Liberals. I do know Chrystia Freeland, and she is one of the best members of that government. She's just so capable... She's been working very, very hard uh, putting a budget together that is something that will hopefully carry them through the next election from the Liberal point of view. Now, at the same time, Poiliev's mainstay has been talking about how the economy is hurting the average family. He's stealing a lot of thunder from the NDP in doing that because we used to have a word for those. We used to call them orange blue switchers. You know, he's trying to make a call and a play to a lot of average working families saying things aren't going If the polls are to be believed, some of that's starting to make its way through. So stay tuned. It's probably the most important budget of uh, Trudeau's now in his eighth year uh, since he got elected prime minister. And I think there'll be a lot of goodies in there. An announcement, for example, for Pharmacare, at least showing that it's going to be one of the things that they want to be able to put in the window at election time. Beyond that, it's really a question as to whether or not Canadians are fed up. With the Trudeau Liberals, you talked about people losing their jobs, you know, not too, we've got very low unemployment, but if you are unfortunate enough to lose your job in this economy, good luck getting your check for employment insurance because even that's gummed up in the works right, right now. So Canadians are looking at whether or not the government is able to deliver on those basic things and whether or not they want to keep the Trudeau Liberals around for one more go.
0: Okay, I'm going to leave it on that note. Thanks so much to our front bench panel for the discussion tonight, Brian Gallant, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair, and Rob Benzie. Uh, For today's takeaway, I'll turn back to our top story, and that is the release of a report that looked into the effectiveness uh, in the workings of a panel struck to raise a a red flag about the possibility of elections interference. Here's Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc on how he views that report.
3: The good news is the measures we put in place we believe, and it was confirmed by the report today, uh, resulted in no foreign interference mm. or even other electoral so no, interference so no such, a, such that the result of the vote would be compromised. We think that's the significant uh, outcome of just, the report today.
0: So you heard there the minister double down on what the prime minister has said for the last number of days. There is uh, no signal from them that they want to have an inquiry to look into allegations that have surfaced through media reports that China interfered, allegations that China interfered in the 2021 election. There is, however, a committee that meets tomorrow. As the minister pointed out, they will be studying that very issue and they are set to hear from some high-profile witnesses, including the prime minister's national security advisor and some of the top intelligence experts for the RCMP and Canada's spy agency. We'll have full coverage of that. Right now, though, I'll hand things over to my colleague, Morella Fernandez. Have a great night.